The readings from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 30. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is to God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or laboured in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Sorry, um, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet, I consider it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Now, March the 18th this year, the sports world mourned uh, the death of a well-liked and well-respected figure. Indeed, uh, following the few weeks after his death, it made both back pages and front pages of countless newspapers reporting on the circumstances around his death. The name was Bob Warmer, uh, the coach of the Pakistan World Cup cricket team. And soon after his death, tributes poured in. This is what John T. Rhodes said. John T. Rhodes, who was a South African cricketer, said, Bob Warmer had such a massive influence on my cricket career, and I know that there are countless cricketers around the globe who are just as devastated as I am by his sudden passing. Bob literally gave his life for the game he loved so dearly. That was John T. Rhodes. Alan Donald, a South African fast bowler, said this, the news was pretty devastating. He was a very, very close friend, actually more than a coach. He was a very respected man. Bob 
gave his life to cricket and probably paid for it. Tony Gregg said, There was no doubt in my mind when I first saw him that Bob Woolmer would end up playing cricket for England. I had the pleasure of being captain, captain and selecting him when that happened. He gave his all, all the time. That was Bob Woolmer. Just over a week ago, Luciano Pavarotti died. And on that evening, I went onto his website. It was shut down apart from one opening page with this picture and this quote. He said this, I think a life in music is a life beautifully spent and this is what I have devoted my life to. Two days before Pavarotti's death, Jane Tomlinson died of cancer. For the last six years of her life, she devoted her life to raising money for charity, £1.5 million. Bob Woolmer gave his life for cricket. Luciano Pavarotti gave his life to music. Jane Tomlinson gave her life for charity. For many, it might be their job, their hobby, their families, their local community. For Paphroditus, the last verse of Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he gave himself for the work of Christ. And that's the title of this session. In fact, verse 30 would have been the common theme of any obituary written about Epaphroditus. We are told that for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life. And Paul pays tribute in verse 29 to Epaphroditus with this exhortation. He says, hold such men in esteem, or honour such men. Or the old King James Version, hold such in reputation. And this chapter closes with Paul wanting us to look up to this man who gave himself for the work of Christ. And yet that phrase, for the work of Christ, the title of our session, really describes this whole passage that was read to us. For in verse 17, Paul is described as being poured out as a drink offering. And then in contrast to everyone else, in verse 21, we're told that Timothy seeks not his own, but the things which are Jesus Christ's. So what we have in the second half of chapter 2 are three people who gave their all for the work of Christ. Not cricket, not music, not charity, not family, but for the work of Christ. So you have Paul, who I've described as the passionate preacher. You have Timothy, who I've described as the timid teacher. And then you have Epaphroditus, who I've called the encouraging elder, because that's probably what he was, a, lead, a leader in the church of Philippi. And so here we have three people surrendering all for the service of their Lord. Paul, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, Timothy, part Jew, part Gentile, and Epaphroditus, fully Gentile. Now all of them could claim exemption from being out and out for the Lord on health grounds. In Galatians chapter 4, we're told that Paul has physical infirmity. In 1 Timothy 5 verse 23, we're told that Timothy had frequent infirmities. And in this chapter, in verse 27, we're told that Epaphroditus was sick almost 
unto death. In addition, Timothy, we know, was by nature quiet and shy and reserved. And he considered his youth a stumbling block. Epaphroditus had to contend with a pagan background and a, a name which was named after the Greek goddess of love. Now, my dad is one of three, and I'm not quite sure why my grandparents called their oldest son David, their youngest son Paul, and him, my dad, the middle son, Basil. (laughs) So my dad has had to contend with his name for 67 years. He would swap it to his middle name, except that's Arthur. So, but Epaphroditus was named after the Greek goddess of love. And so they all had excuses. They all had their weaknesses. They all had obstacles. They all had reasons to hold back. Yet all of them gave themselves for the work of Christ. Now we might have excuses to take our foot off the gas, but we don't really have any reasons. Now as we look at these three characters, what I want to do is draw out one key point from each character. And they will deal with the three great principles that are constantly repeated in the Bible and what UBM holds dearly in its operation. And these are love for the Lord, love for each other, and a love for the lost. But before we do that, what Paul does in this chapter is express an important order that enables weak people to overcome obstacles so that they can give their all for the work of Christ. And the word work occurs three times, or depending on which version you read, four times in this chapter. And the order is this. In verse 13, you have the phrase, work in. Then in verse 12, you have the phrase, work out. And then in verse 13, our theme uh, phrase, a work for. And the order is this. God, the Holy Spirit, works in us so that we can work out our salvation and produce a work for Christ. And the work of God in us is the power for us to work out, which is the process by which we can do a work for God, the end product. In fact, the word work out in verse 12 is good, because it describes what it should be. It is a spiritual work out. The Greek word here is energeo from which we get the word energy. The exaltation is to spiritually exercise so that it produces results. Work out your salvation. There is effort and energy and indeed exhaustion. Another picture is of that um, extracting precious metal from beneath the surface of the earth. Uh, A preacher called Sidney Elliott, preaching at the Bridge Chapel in Liverpool, said this, I need to mine out of my life that which God has richly deposited within me. So as we see these three men working for Christ, it is God working in them, and then them working out. And we need to be prepared for that discipline, and that spiritual exertion, and then we can strive to be PTE people, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus people. It is doing what we need to do in order to display the fruit of the Spirit. So before we look at these three people, we need to ask ourselves this. Are our quiet times full of energy 
as you have your spiritual workout. It is spiritual exertion. Are you willing to be fully committed to the work of Christ, whatever your circumstances, whatever the obstacles you face in your life? What are you devoting your life to? For Pavarotti, Pavarotti, it was a life of music. Where does the work of Christ come on your list? Those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves as we look at these three men. So first, verses 14 to 18, we're going to look at Paul. And I've headed it, Shining Light. And really it deals with the whole principle of love for the lost. And what Paul does here is describes where we are as Christians. He says in verse 15 that we're in the middle of a crooked and perverse, or in fact depraved, generation. We are surrounded by all that is contrary to God's word. On all sides, society is distorted and twisted. And what is right is ridiculed. What is evil is presented as the norm. And the warning as given in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 is this. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so Paul says we're in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. And in that context, we need to be shining lights. Whether we're at work, on the beach, at school, in our neighbourhood, at university, the situation is the same. Everywhere we look, we see perversion of the truth. There is spiritual blackness. And so Paul gives us this command to shine as lights in the world. It's a similar charge that Jesus Christ gave us in Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. C.H. Spurgeon wrote these words in his uh, morning and evening devotions. He wrote this, We use lights to make manifest. A Christian man should so shine in his life that a person could not live with him a week without knowing the gospel. His conversation should be such that all who are about him should clearly perceive whose he is and whom he serves and should see the image of Jesus reflected in his daily actions. So we need to shine as lights. And Paul, I think, gives two ways in which to do that. One is what we don't say, and one is what we do say. So the first way in which we need to shine as lights lights is this. We need to stop whinging. In verse 14, we have one of the biggest challenges that faces a Christian. It's this. Do all things without murmuring or disputing. Do all things without complaining or arguing. Now, it's a verse that the Howlett family have learnt by heart this summer. But it's a verse that takes a bit longer to put into practice. Um, We've got three boys, and if you've got any brothers and sisters, complaining is automatic, it seems. But Paul is saying this. In a world which is constantly complaining, constantly moaning, constantly arguing, you need to be different. And a Christian 
who doesn't do these things, i.e. doesn't complain, doesn't moan, doesn't argue, is noticed. And there's an Arab proverb that says this, I complained because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Now later in this chapter, in chapter 4, Paul says this, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And in fact, the whole letter is a letter of rejoicing. And in this section alone, the word rejoice occurs four times, in verse 15, 16, 17 and 28. The word joy occurs another two times. So are you a complainer? Have you moaned today? Are you learning to be content? Do you join in with your work colleagues when they grumble about pay or the boss or the workload? Paul says, if you want to be shining as lights in this world, stop whinging, be different, don't complain or moan. And the second thing he says, which we need to do to be shining as lights, is to start witnessing. And what we have in this this passage is this phrase, holding firm, or it's like holding forth. And different translations have one or the other. In other words, in a world that is so mixed up, hold on to the gospel, do not compromise on it, as it is the word of life, and then as you do this, share it, with a lost world. And as you do that, look to to eternity, look to the day of Christ. That's what Paul says, looking to the day of Christ. Because it is then we'll be able to look back and see that our testimony, our share in the gospel, our labours for the Lord have not been in vain. And that's vital to our work, isn't it, on the beach or for indeed the rest of the year, that we preach the gospel, we offer the word of life, We share Christ and we look to him to bless. Now, do non-Christians around you know that you're a Christian? Now, I think I can honestly say that uh, people at work, people I work with, know that I'm a Christian. But the more challenging question is this. Do the people I work with know how to become a Christian? And there's a world of difference. People at work know I'm coming on this conference this weekend. They know I do beach missions. They know I'm involved in church. But do they know how to become a Christian? Have I poured forth, held forth the word of life to them? They know I go to church, but that won't help them in trusting Christ. Do they know that Jesus Christ died for them? Have you heard the Christian message? Have they heard the Christian message? And have they know what it is? do they know what it is to become a Christian? Are you speaking the gospel? Does Gary Carr Smith know the gospel? Who's he? My next door neighbour. Does David Lang know the gospel? Who's he? He's my other next door neighbour. Do they know the gospel? They know I go to church, but do they know the gospel? So for the work of Christ, we need to be shining lights. And then the second thing, the second person, the second character is Timothy. And for Timothy, we see displayed a love for other Christians, a love for each other. He had a selfless love. 
Now, I've got Dave in front of me here, and he's going to be pleased. I'm going to refer to Calvin. But not the 16th century reformer, French reformer, but rather the six-year-old, imaginative, mischievous child who talked with this stuffed toy tiger called Hobbes. Now, Calvin and Hobbes is a, a comic strip that appeared in 2,400 newspapers, and in one set of pictures, we have this conversation. Uh, Calvin, there he is, saying, A lot of people don't have principles, but I do. I'm a highly principled person. He goes on to say this, I live according to one principle and never deviate from it. Now, intrigued, Hobbes, that's the stuffed pet tiger, asks, What's your principle? The answer was, look out for number one. Now, that was the rule that governed the lives of so many. Verse 21 tells us that. But Timothy, verse 20, was different. He displayed selfless love. Timothy was with Paul in Rome, and Paul wanted to find out about the Philippians. We're told that in verse 19. But he also wanted to tell the Philippians about himself, verse 23. And there was no one better to be sent on that 800 miles journey than Timothy. In fact, it's quite possible the journey was there and back again. Because in verse 19, we're told that Paul wants to hear the reports of the Philippians, but he also wants to hear, uh, uh, no, he wants to hear about the Philippians, so he wants Timothy to come back and tell him. And Timothy was a fantastic example of the exaltation at the start of this chapter, verses 3 and 4, which um, Michael will be looking at tomorrow. But the four quick points about Timothy's selfless love. Firstly, it was genuine. We're told he naturally or genuinely or sincerely cared for others. And the idea is this, that Timothy would regard their interests with a sincere tenderness and concern. He might be depended upon to enter fully into their concerns. When something happened to them, he had a deep interest in how it affected them. There was nothing superficial or spurious about his love for them. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced, and he wept with those who wept. Now, are you genuinely interested and concerned for other people? Do you take an interest in others? Have you spoken to anyone else today about their needs? Are you waiting for someone to ask you about your needs? Timothy had no concern for his needs, but genuinely, sincerely was concerned for others. The second thing about his selfless love was this. It was global. Paul um, met Timothy probably at Lystra. That's where Timothy was from, Lystra. But here he's showing his love for the, the Christians at Philippi. It was another city, another country, in fact, another continent. But Timothy had a concern for the Christians at Philippi. He was not parochial in his love. It knew no physical boundaries. So, the question, are you interested, not just in your small group of friends, but have you got a genuine global love for other Christians? Are you interested in missionary work? Thirdly, his love, selfless love, was generous. 
As mentioned, his task was this, to complete a journey of 800 miles one way and potentially back again. It was a huge undertaking, but it seems that Timothy thought nothing of it. In fact, Timothy was willing to spend time visiting Paul in prison and would not have thought about his own comfort. Timothy was willing to visit Paul. He was willing to do the 800 miles journey. He was generous in his expression of love. In fact, Timothy himself later was to become a prisoner as well. We read that in the book of Hebrews. Are you giving generously for the sake of others? Costing, sacrificial giving. And then fourthly, his selfless love was I call gospel-based. We're told in verse 22 that uh, Timothy served with Paul in the work of the gospel. And then Paul goes on to say this, Therefore, I hope to send him. In other words, because Timothy knows and loves the gospel, whereby Jesus gave of himself, he is highly suitable for me to send to you. It was all rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Timothy was, for the work of Christ, displaying selfless love. There's a person who asked uh, Leonard Bernstein, he's a celebrated orchestra and conductor, what was the hardest instrument to play in an orchestra? And he replied, without hesitation, the hardest instrument to play is second fiddle. I can always get plenty of first violinists, but one who wants to play a second violin with as much enthusiasm, or second French horn, or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet, if no one plays second, we have no harmony. That's what Leonard Bernstein said. So here we have Paul, who for the work of Christ was a shining light, a love for the lost. Here we have Timothy, who for the work of Christ was selfless love, a love for each other. And thirdly, we have Epaphroditus, who was sacrificial living, displaying a love for God. Henry Martin, a missionary to Persia, modern-day Iraq, lived from 1781 to 1812 and died, therefore, as a young man. He rejected other opportunities open to him. He was a brilliant student at Cambridge University. And he prayed this, Here am I, Lord. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough, the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is comfort in earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service and in thy kingdom. Now on the eve of his departure, he wrote this, I go to burn out for God. I am prepared to go anywhere, I am ready to help anyone, and I am prepared to sacrifice anything. That's what Henry Martin wrote. Now, could there be any better motto for the Christian and follower of Jesus Christ than those three words? Anywhere, anyone, anything. That was Epaphroditus. He had a love for God that led to sacrificial living. And very briefly, uh, three little points about Epaphroditus. He was ready to go anywhere. In all likelihood, Epaphroditus was a leading figure in the church of Philippi. 
He would have had a position that was high profile, a position of authority, but he was willing to make that long, dangerous trip to Rome. There would be no being noticed, no having the limelight on that journey, no glamour as he sat with Paul in prison. He was to become Paul's church, uh, the church's messenger and Paul's minister. Are you willing to go anywhere for the Lord? Would you be willing to leave the comfort of what you know to go where the Lord would have you be? He was ready to go anywhere. Secondly, he was ready to gamble anything. The, the phrase in verse 30 is this, risking. The old um, AV says not regarding, but the, the, the idea is not risk, uh, risking his life. It's a gambling term meaning to stake everything on one roll of the dice. In fact, apparently as, as gamblers uh, threw the dice, they would shout the word Epaphroditus, appealing to Epaphrodite, not only the goddess of love, but the goddess of gamblers. And Epaphroditus gambled with life itself so that the gospel would not be hindered. He voluntarily exposed himself to danger. And yet the odds were good. It was like throwing a, a, a dice with a six on every side. He knew he was going to win. And when we throw our lives down for Christ, we are not gambling it away like a game of chance. We can put all on the line for Jesus and let him worry about the consequences. That was Epaphroditus, risking, gambling, not regarding his life. And perhaps one of the most famous quotes that we, we come across is that of Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Are you willing to take risks for God? Are you willing to live that risk, taking life for God? And I can say, you will not, you cannot lose. The, the odds are stacked in your favour. You cannot lose. He was ready to gamble anything and everything. And the third thing about Epaphroditus, he was ready to give to anyone. And in that sense, Epaphroditus and Timothy were similar. Epaphroditus had a burden for Paul. In fact, we're told that he, he ministered to Paul's needs. And he had a burden for the church at Philippi, because when Epaphroditus became ill, he did not want the church at Philippi to know. He was burdened for them. He was more distressed about his illness, how it would affect the, the Philippi church, than it would be how it would affect him. He was a giver, not a taker. He knew the principle of being blessed by giving than by receiving. Are you willing to give for the Lord Jesus Christ? It's already been made mention that uh, we cannot possibly do any more centres next year because we're short on numbers. Are you willing to give an extra week to beach missions next year? Do you know 10%, only 10% of those who did one week's mission this year did two weeks next year? If only 10% gave an extra week, we could do four more weeks mission. If half could do that, that's another 20 weeks mission we could do for the sake of one week of holiday. If you can do that, that would be great. This year I was at Bude, 
for one week. I was due to be reviewed for two weeks. The first week was cancelled because there were only four on the team. An opportunity missed. But Epaphroditus, he was ready to give. Just as we conclude, let's go back to verse 12. And Paul makes two important points. And both deal with the motivation or driver behind being out and out for the Lord Jesus Christ. For doing a work for Christ. He starts off this whole section with the word therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? It links the whole of this section we've just considered with what's gone before, what Michael cover tomorrow morning. But what he's saying is this. I've just told you about how Christ left heaven, became man, went to the cross. Therefore, our natural and expected response should be to be like Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. William Hendrickson says this, Since Christ, by means of his unrestricted voluntary obedience, gave you an example And then he goes on to say that we should be like Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. The motivation for being out and out for Christ is because Christ was out and out for us. And then Paul makes another point, closely linked. He says in verse uh, 12 that really don't do this because I happen to be there or not. And he makes the same point in chapter 1 and verse 27. Paul says, look, whether I'm with you or not, whether I'm present or absent, you should be living for Christ. Your motivation for Christ is not on whether I'm watching you or not, it's because of what Christ has done. It's easier, I think, to be keen on a UBM team when there are other Christians around you, when the team leader might be watching you. It's harder when you're the only Christian in your family or your hall of residence, or your workplace. But Paul makes this point. Don't be dependent on me being there to see whether you're motivated or not. Do a work for Christ, because of what Christ has done for you. So the session was entitled, For the Work of Christ. We had Paul, a shining light, love for the lost. We had uh, Timothy, a selfless love, a love for each other. And we had Epaphroditus, a love for God, sacrificial loving, uh, living, all because of what Christ had done for them. What are you doing for the work of Christ? Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do say thank you for Jesus Christ, his example, and we do just pray that as we reflect on him and what he's done, that we too might do a work for Christ, being out and out, whatever the circumstances we face ourselves, uh, have ourselves in, whatever the obstacles, whatever the challenges. Father, we pray that we would be out and out for Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.